Well, good morning. Good to see you on this special family day weekend. And I just want to say to you, Sunnan Phi Lok. Now, for those of you who don't understand Mandarin, I wished you a good new year, a happy new year. For those of you who speak Mandarin and don't have a clue what I said, I wished you a happy new year. And just to spread my wings a little bit, how about Kung Hei Fat Choi? Because I don't want to leave out the Cantonese people. Am I okay? Louis, am I okay? Okay. Uh, oh, I, you know, I have so butchered that language. And, uh, and I'm such a shame to some of my life group members. Uh, but Happy New Year uh, to all of our, uh, all our Chinese New Year people. And I want to get in on one of those celebrations. It sounds like a really great thing doing two New Years. Um, anyway, bless you all. Um, hey, just want to think for a minute um, about living in an uncertain world, a world of uncertainty. Um, it, it's true, isn't it? What can you be sure of? What can you take to the bank? What, 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 can, you, what can you stake your life on? I think we are let down in many cases. It used to be, I, I remember people used to say, what do you know for sure? You know, how do you answer that? And, and the answer of most people was death and taxes. You know, what, what can you be sure of death and taxes? Well, I hope there's more than that. But, but there are also a lot of letdowns. So we've got the Winter Olympics going. And uh, Russia was banned initially from coming to the Olympics because doping scam. They were, they were cheating. How, how, how do you know that you're playing with a, a level playing field? How do you know that, uh, that every, everybody has the same opportunity, that somebody's not cheating? Well, obviously, a lot of people were cheating, and, and so we've got athletes from, from Russia, but they can't do it for their country, per se. It's interesting. People we thought we could count on, people we thought we could trust have let us down. I mean, think of the categories of people that we have to trust. Think of the police. In, though the police, by and large, are fantastic, there's been corruption within police forces. People taking stuff, uh, seizing drugs and selling it out, we, uh, abuse, um, uh, problems with racism in, in different police forces, uh, corruption. The people we count on, teachers. Yeah, but teachers don't always do it right either. And coaches and, and doctors. We, uh, the big law, uh, lawsuit in, uh, in Michigan of that sports medicine doctor who for 25 years had been sexually abusing his patients. Politicians with broken promises. Um, parents even can let people down. And even pastors, people that we thought we could trust. Uh, it's interesting. Um, while I was away in India, I had a, a wonderful time. But one of the things I wanted to do uh, with with the group of students that I was dealing with that that we've done before is 
um, I wanted to give them a little money to go out and buy some extra special food for a meal that we could have together because they they don't get meat once or twice a week and and so we wanted to kind of kick it up a notch and so I I had uh, I brought a little bit of uh, Indian rupees that I'd had before and and so I went and I gave them to the principal of the school and I said look at here take this money and um, and go buy some good stuff and on the last day we'll we'll have a party and we'll celebrate and he came back and uh, uh, anyway I I have a five hundred rupee note here um, and I, you know just to show how generous I am I'm going to give this to somebody and Dominic I'm going to give it to you because you really deserve it okay Reserve Bank of India. 500 rupees, okay? This is going to go to your head, but don't, don't let it go to your head. Um, so I gave this guy uh, some money. And by the way, the 500 rupees is worth about $10, so it's, you know, it's no biggie, okay? Um, and and um, the principal came back, and he was kind of apologetic and a little embarrassed, and uh, he says... Um, we can't, we can't use that money. I said, what do you mean you can't use that money? Well, uh, like last March, the government decided they were going to pull certain bills of denominations. Do you, you know about that, Kingsley? So, um, and 500 rupee note was one they pulled. So they gave like about two days notice. People were lining up banks to trade in there. Well, I'm not here. I don't know that. And so... Dominic, I hate to say this, but that $500, 500 rupee note is not even worth 500 rupees. And I said, well, look at that. You know, I mean, how did I know that? How did, how did they do that? So, I mean, you're trusting that you have a currency, but my currency is no good. Um, it, you know, some of the scams that have gone on, people have entrusted their life savings, their whole retirement to a financial institution, to find out that there was some kind of fraud and and scheme and they lost everything. Thousands of people lost it all. We put our trust in something and it let us down. And of course, with the explosion of knowledge, you know, I mean, from the days when we thought the world was flat and we thought the earth was the center of the universe and and with increasing knowledge, we find out that everything that we have believed doesn't really wash either. In fact, a very simple and profound little one was the treatment of stomach ulcers. So people had stomach ulcers, and, and so they were treated by having a very bland diet, nothing spicy, nothing acidic, taking antacids, um, and uh, bed rest, and, and drinking milk and that kind of thing. And, and sometimes people are in hospital for that. And then there were two, uh, two Australian doctors uh, by the name of Robin Warren and Barry Marshall. And they discovered that there, the problem was this. It was a bacteria. It, it was a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori. And, and they found that they could treat that with a certain antibiotic for three weeks and it would clear up. Now, that was in 1982, 
but it wasn't recognized until 1994 and treatments were not approved until 1996 and now we can deal with that quickly and efficiently where we didn't before because we thought this is it happens with anxiety and and uh, stress and acidic foods and, and we were all wrong and so it just leaves you with a question um, what can you trust for sure what can you know for sure what can you really have assurance over and and for me this really raises a, a, a critical question and the critical question is what about our faith What can we trust in terms of our faith? What can we trust in terms of God? If there are so few certainties in life, how do we fare with God in terms of that? And I think that's a question that has been on the minds of humans since the beginning of time. Um, Think about it. Cain and Abel. What do I have to do to be right with God? What do I have to be, do to, to have God accept me and, and accept my offering? And God did not accept Cain's offering. He accepted Abel's offering. And Cain was so ticked off that he killed his brother, murdered his brother. So we've been having these questions since the beginning of time. How, how do I secure favor with God? And as human beings, we're, we've been trying to shore up our relationship with God. In fact, if you look at the ancient Near East and see how things worked, um, there's always been a sense that there is something beyond us. There are gods uh, that we need to uh, respond to. And so people wanted to curry favor with the gods. And and so they wanted protection and they wanted fertility and provision and and, and they wanted lots of children and flocks and crops and herds. And, and uh, so they would make idols to gods. And they would worship those idols. And they would bring offering and sacrifices so they could feed the gods. And, and uh, they would try and do things to bring the gods on side to them. Um, in desperation, and we read this in the Bible, they would even sacrifice their children to the gods. To get the favor of him. Uh, They would go to to no extreme to be able to do that. And and of course so much of it was corrupt in that there were orgies. And they would have these drunken sexual orgies. So that they could excite the gods and goddesses to have sex. And and it would rain down prosperity on people. And, And so we've been doing this kind of thing for a long time in a lot of different ways. Having been in India recently and, and, and seeing how things operate there and, and the doing of good deeds and, and, and the giving of money to gods and goddesses um, uh, to, to have good karma, to bribe the gods to get what you want. Hey, you know what? We do that kind of stuff, don't we? I better show up to church. I better put something on the offering plate. I better, I better do something to bring God on side with me so that God can maybe owe me a little bit so I'm just not owing God. Interesting, I read a, a fascinating article uh, or, or an essay um, you know, about India and how the system of wanting to, uh, to bribe the gods uh, to get what you want has found itself into society in terms of bribing people to get what you want. It's okay because we bribe the gods. We can bribe others to get what we want. 
Well, so in the area of religion and faith, there remains a lot of questions. Can you have any certainty about faith? Can you have any kind of hope that you can anchor yourself to? Uh, that, that God would accept you, that God would bless you and approve you? It seems to me, for some people, that seems rather presumptuous. Can we really do that? Or arrogant, can you really say that you're okay with God? Well, to me, there's a dangerous problem here. And the problem is this. If there is a God who has created everything, including us, if there's a God who sustains us, if there's a God who who owns us by creative rights, who has the authority to set an agenda for us, who has the authority to say what we should do. And if this God has the ability and the power to be able to judge us, and our whole eternal destiny is bound up with him, then we better get that one right. Because if we get that wrong, we're talking about an eternity. We're talking about meeting God as our judge. We need to be attentive to this issue. And can you really know where you stand with God? What about the person who's doing their very best to to try and please God? Or that child that prayed at mother's lap when they were six years old, but we've seen nothing in their life. Is that person accepted? Is the person who's doing a good job and working hard? What about the person who's lived a really lousy, terrible, sinful life, and on their deathbed, they cried out to Jesus? What about the person that is so secure that they're kind of boasting in in their faith and, and their status with God? They're so sure. Well, thankfully, God hasn't left us to just muse over these kind of things. He has revealed in his word things and truths that we need. There's a little letter at the back of the Bible, the very, near the very end of the Bible, called 1 John. In fact, I want to help you find it. If you don't have your Bible with you, let me invite you just to grab the Bible that's in the seat front. If you go to the very end of the Bible, you'll find the, the book of Revelation. And if you back that up, there are five little books there. Um, you know, one is Jude, and then before that are one, two, three, John. So I just want you to understand where this is, so you can find it right near the end of your Bible, and it's the first letter that John wrote. And uh, what we have here in John is we have a very capable teacher in the person of the Apostle John. Now, there are a number of Johns in the Bible, so uh, I, I want you to understand what John this is. Uh, there's, we know John the Baptist. This isn't John the Baptist. This is John, whose, brothers, whose brother was James, who was one of the 12 disciples that, that Jesus made 12 apostles. And um, uh, he... Uh, he, we see him throughout the New Testament. And I want to talk to you about his qualifications for a minute because um, he was picked by Jesus to be 
one of the twelve. Not only was he picked by Jesus to be one of the twelve, he was picked by Jesus to be on the executive council. Jesus had, you know what, this may bother you, but Jesus had, I don't want to say favorites, but he had people that he invested more in. And there were three. And there were Peter and James and his brother John. And they kind of were uh, an executive council. So Jesus had chosen them. He spent um, three years plus with these guys teaching them. And and they were privy to experiences that none of the other uh, 12 got. Um, And God used him to pen five books in the Bible. The Gospel of John... The three letters of John, 1, 2, and 3, and the final book of the Bible, the Revelation. He saw miracles. He was an eyewitness to everything. In fact, in John 1, uh, 1 John 1, uh, 1 to 3, it says this. Um, that which was from the beginning, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He said we were there from the very beginning. We heard him. We saw him, we observed him, we touched him. We're eyewitnesses. We were there when he did his teaching. We were there when he did his miracles. And he he is uh, qualified to speak uh, as a representative of Jesus Christ on this topic. Well, I want to tell you a little bit about his heart. Not only is he was qualified, but he wasn't perfect. I think one of the things that really commends the Bible to us is that uh, the people who are the, the leaders in this Christian movement um, are shown to be who they are in real life with all the warts. I think that that's not how probably most of us would try and promote a faith uh, showing in a bad light. But this guy, John, though he's a great guy, he also was a person um, who had some flaws, some glaring flaws. He and his brother James, I said, were in the inner circle. They were kind of a rough and tumble uh, couple of guys as well. Um, They were nicknamed Boanerges, which means the sons of thunder. Had a bit of a a, uh, hot, a bit hot-headed. And, you know, they didn't always do things right. In in fact, um, they caught some people casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they said to Jesus, hey, we saw these guys doing this. And we say, hey, we're the authority uh, here with this stuff. Don't do that. And Jesus goes, oh, man. Like, guys, come on. They're doing this in my name. They're with us. They're not against us. And uh, then they went, at one point, they went into Samaria. And the Samaritans wouldn't give hospitality, show hospitality to Jesus. And, uh, you know, James and John says, uh, Like, uh, Lord, why don't we rub them out? Why don't we call lightning from heaven and just fry these guys? And Jesus is going, oh, man. These guys aren't going to get it. He had a bit of a temper that could flare up. But God was working him in him. 
And he was the only disciple that we know or apostle that lived into old age and didn't die by, uh, by virtue of being put to death and martyred. Uh, he lived till probably close to the end of the first century, till he was an old man. He's writing this when he's an old man. The, the Gospel of John was the last written gospel. And, uh, and these books that probably follow it then with the, the, the letters 1, 2, and 3, and uh, the book of, uh, of Revelation as well. And he was no pushover. He had some spine and some backbone, but Jesus touched his life. And he would become the apostle of love. Ten times in the five short chapters, he says to the people, he says, my dear children, six times he calls them beloved or my dear friends. He writes to these churches with such a warm, uh, fatherly spirit and attitude. And he's protective and caring over them. And he's affirming. But he's also forthright. And when he sees something wrong, he's going to deal with it. And he wants to protect these believers uh, with this fatherly affection. And he had a purpose in writing. And his purpose, I want to talk just a second about the Gospel of John. Because he wrote that first. And uh, in the Gospel of John, um, here's what he said was his purpose. In John 20, 30, 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. This is the Gospel of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He said, I'm writing this because I want people to know who Jesus is. I want them to to be able to enter into a relationship with him. Um, we said as our mission, our mission is to, to help people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. And, and John, in the, in the Gospel of John, wants people to, um, uh, to come to realize who he is and to have a relationship through Jesus Christ with him. And then John's letters follow up kind of as an accompaniment to that. I'm telling you how people enter God's kingdom and become a part of his family. But I also need to help you grow and be uh, saturated in your faith and understand and grounded. And so in John's letters, um, in, we see in uh, 1 John 5.13, John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why are you writing, John? Tell us, what is it you want to communicate? I want you, I, I'm writing this so that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't want you to have to guess about this. I don't want you to have to live um, in, in such a tenuous way. Does he love me? Does he, oh, I just blew it. He says, I want you to know. I want you to have knowledge. And so what we want to do over the next three weeks, is we want to look into John's gospel and we want to find out, hey, am I on the right side of God? Does God accept me? Uh, am I his child? Am I secure in that? Or can I be secure in that? We want to, we want to ask and, and, uh, uh, those questions. And, and let, let me say this. You need to get the whole picture, okay? You can't come to one or, or three or four. You, you need the whole picture to understand this. So he's writing this 
so that we can have knowledge. John, in all the confusion of his, that his readers had, uh, with all the problems, with all the, the challenges, they had false prophets that were weaseling their way in and, and getting people all messed up in terms of their thinking. And he wanted them to have reliable knowledge in terms of their spiritual status. And he believed that they could have a knowledge. And he writes to help them understand where they, where they were standing and what he wants of them. So in doing so, he's going to provide some tests. And we were, over the next few weeks, we're going to apply these tests to our life to see where we stand. To me, the greatest tragedy is that somebody could attend church month after month and year after year and and hear the preaching of God's word and never really be a true and genuine believer. To me, there's nothing more tragic than that. And so uh, I I trust that we'll pay uh, attention to this and we'll let God speak to us and give us understanding about ourselves and where we're at. So this day, I want to, uh, I want to say that, that there are some objective tests and there are some subjective tests. And today we want to start with the first test, which I've called the acceptance of the gospel. The first test is the acceptance of the gospel. God has communicated in scripture and Jesus spoke about the gospel. Now the gospel just means good news. And this good news is essential to our standing with God um, in our sense of security. Well, well what is the gospel? And, and I just, just kind of want to run through this. First, the gospel or the message that we need is this. It's about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. In fact, 14 times... Um, in, in this, uh, in this uh, do we hear about Jesus? It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, the Son of God, over and over, seven times. Um, it's the Son of God, it's the Son of God, it's Christ. He wants us to know that the gospel is about Jesus. Now, we read the first three verses, but let me, let me just go back there and let's, let's look at that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which our eyes have seen uh, and uh, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. He says, we've had, we've had an encounter. This isn't some phantom. This isn't some dream. This is a person. This is a person that we have seen, we've observed, we've heard, we've touched, we've had this concrete relationship. And um, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life, the message of life. What we need is life. Eternal life, life eternal. But the life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim uh, to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is a message that is wrapped up in a person. The gospel is about Jesus, about who Jesus is, and about what he has done. And so multiple, multiple times we find uh, references to Jesus in these five short chapters. 
they witnessed his life. But if it's good news, there's also some bad news that goes with us. And the bad news is this. The bad news is about our sin. It's about our sin. We have a problem. And the problem is sin. And um, in John 1.8, it says this. If we claim to be without sin, if that, that is, if we claim to be without a propensity to doing wrong, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he says, all of us have this propensity to doing wrong things, to going the wrong way. You find that? Yesterday I said to Gerda, I said, do not look at me. You know what she did? She went like this. I said, why did you look at me? She said, you know, that's what, you know, I don't know what, it's something about me. Sometimes you'll see a sign that says wet paint on something. You know, I, what, what is in me that I want to go? Oh, it is. You, that there's something in us that you say, you say go left, I want to go right. You say don't do it, I want to do it. You say do it, I don't want to do it. There's something in us. You see it in the little children. You see, you, you see those, how, how, how they can can be so defiant, even at a ti- as, as tiny children. And, and he says, our problem is we have this propensity to do wrong. Not only do we have this propensity to do wrong, in verse uh, 10 of the same chapter, he says, if we claim that we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So, so not only do we have a nature that is prone to doing wrong, we do wrong stuff. And sometimes we're so disappointed with ourselves uh, the, the thoughts we think, the, the, the things we do, how, how we are self-centered and proud and arrogant and, and miserly and stingy and, and so stingy that you give a guy a 500 rupee note that is worth nothing and he smiles and takes it from you. It, it, there's something in us that not only has the, the wrong desires but acts on those desires. And we are sinners so that in First uh, John two one it says this, my dear children, I write to the this to you so you will not sin. Sin ruins our relationship with God. It, it breaks our relationship with God. God can't. Uh, God can't. Uh, Look the other way with our sin. It, it's ruined our relationship. Our relationship has been broken. But it's not only about our sin. It's about what Jesus has done. What, what Jesus has done. And what, what Jesus has done is he's done something to correct the problem that we have in our broken relationship with God because of our sin. Uh, we're right with God through faith, believing in Jesus and what he's done. And in 1 and verse 7, it says this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is another way to say the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. He died to take the penalty for our sin. He he died to purify us from our sin that made us um, so that we couldn't have a a relationship with him. And, And in 1 John 5, 10 to 13... It says this. If anybody does sin, I'm sorry, that's, that's two. Um, if anybody does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. He's the one who paid the price. He's the one who made the way that we could be forgiven and and our sins removed and that he would accept us. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we have this problem and Jesus stepped up and and, uh, he he died for us. He, He was an advocate for us. He died giving his life as an atoning sacrifice to cover our sin. Well, in, in uh, 1 John 5, 10 to 13, um, he says this. Do not, uh, good. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you have eternal life? You have the Son. If you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. He says this in in chapter 5 and verses 4 and 5. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's interesting. When you look at what Jesus has done for us, we look at our response. And our response is to believe in what he's done, to put our faith in what he's done. And this goes back to John's gospel, where he invested in that gospel in, in helping us to know how we can be right with God. And how we can be right with God is by believing in him. In fact, in John's gospel, I counted it up. 86 times it says, believe, 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 believe. If you don't believe this, you've, you've got to believe, you've got to believe. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The everlasting life who's come in Jesus. Um, in, in John 5 and verse 24, John makes another statement. He says, very, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that is incredibly telling and, and uh, piercing. In John 6, verse 28 and 29, Jesus says this. He's responding to people who are asking questions about how do you know that you're right with God. He asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What do we need to do to bring God inside with, uh, uh, on side with us? What do we need to do for God to accept us and, and put his blessing upon us and and take us to heaven when we die and give us eternal life what do we need to do what must we do to do the works that God requires what does God require of us and Jesus answered this listen the work of God is this 
to believe in the one who sent him. That doesn't sound like work. It's not work. It's not work. He says, what you need to do is believe. What what you can't do for yourself, I can do. The work I require is not work. It's believing. It's trusting. And we ask the question, is this something that I can be sure of? Could I be sure of this in my life? And I want to say to you, certainty is possible. Do you hear everything he's saying? He's not wavering. He's saying, if you put your faith in me, if you put your trust in me, if you turn to me, faith is possible. Now, listen, in, in this short little book, we've got about 40 times where he says, uses the verb to know. And we know, and we know, and we know, and we know, and we know. and we. So in this world of uncertainty, he's saying there's a whole lot that we know and that we can anchor ourselves to this. 22 times it says, by this, and he'll go on and say, we know this. By this, and so we're going to go through some of these tests. He says in, in chapter 2 and verse 24, this is the promise. It's a promise. I guarantee it. It's interesting. I was... I was uh, looking at this situation with, with people who are concerned with Sears. They, uh, Sears is going out of business, and the warranties on all of their appliances and everything will be void. Uh, ben Moss Jewelers uh, had, a, had a, uh, a, a lifetime guarantee on the things that he sold. Then he went bankrupt, and with that went the guarantee. Jesus gives a guarantee, uh, but... It's a guarantee that will last. It's a guarantee that's good. It's a guarantee that, that we can have certainty of. And he says, oh, a few times in there, he says, and we have confidence, and we have confidence. If there was ever a, a place and a time we needed confidence, it was now. And there, there are four expressions that keep running over and over through this little book. And I, I want to encourage you this week to read it. It's a, it's a short read. It's five little chapters. We know that we know him. If this happens, we know that we are in him. If these things happen, Uh, we know that we are of God. If uh, we know that we have passed from death to life when. And so we've got these things that can help us understand and evaluate. Where am I? And and uh, and am I in a right place or what do I need to do in a right place? Or at least I know I'm not in a right place, whether I'm willing to get in a right place or not. And he says through all of this, it's not relying on yourself. Because you can't do anything. You're sinners. You're you're alienated from God. And what you need is Jesus. And what Jesus has done for you. And, And what opens that door is faith. You need to put your confidence, your trust in Jesus alone to secure that for you. One of the greatest figures in uh, church history is a man by the name of Martin Luther. Um, He was studying a law at Erfurt University, and as he was walking after class one day, he was struck by lightning, and he lived. And he thought, I mean, this is incredible that I'm alive to tell the story. And he took that as kind of a a sign uh, that he would follow God. And in fact, he committed his life to God and he became an Augustinian monk. 
And he lived in a monastery and studied theology and he became a teacher of theology. He taught uh, theology in the University of Wittenberg. But he was vexed in his spirit, in in his life. Uh, For all the careful lifestyle that he lived in the monastery and how he, he lived such a regimented, careful life to seek to please God. Um, for all of his knowledge as a teacher of theology, he, he talks about having a very disturbed conscience. And there was a phrase that he hated most of all, and the phrase was the righteousness of God. It, it really bothered him, it irked him. He understood though he was doing everything he thought he could and should do and it was prescribed for him, although he was working feverishly to find acceptance with God, he had no peace inside. He had no sense of uh, that he was right with God. In fact, he speaks about a deep anger and a resentment toward God. And at one point he was studying in the book of Romans. And he says, as he was reading Romans 1.17, there's a righteousness that comes from God that is from first to last by faith. And he was trying to be righteous before God, doing, doing, doing all he could do, and yet never finding any peace, never finding any satisfaction. And, and when, when the, the import of this uh, particular um, passage of Scripture came upon him, he realized that what God required of him was a righteousness that is by faith. That God would provide a gift of righteousness just through his believing. When that struck on him finally, it revolutionized his life. He says, I was altogether born again and entered paradise. That's what it was like to him. He had joy and security and peace and gratitude. He found a hope and a security in what Jesus had done for him, not what he had to do to bring God on side with him. You know, we can, we can be working, 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 trying to bring God on side. Uh, Jesus says in, in, um, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 11, Jesus said this, Come unto me, all you who are labor and are burdened, and I'll give you rest. You know what he's talking about? People who were doing their best to be accepted by God. People who were working feverishly, hoping that God would accept that. And, and, and Jesus said, no, you don't get it. Come to me. You're, you're, burdening, you're burdening, you're laboring to try and get me to like you and want you and, and say you're okay. Come to me. I'll do it for you. I'll do what you can't do for yourself. See, our confidence is not in our own effort. It's in Jesus' work on our behalf. And my friends, when you receive his salvation by grace through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, not of your effort, it's a gift of God. So none of us can boast. He says, if you believe then it's, it's airtight. If your faith and if your trust is in me and what I've done, you're okay with me. And that's a starting place. That's the place where we need to be. And I, I need to ask you a question. Are you trusting Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? When you stand before God someday and he says, on what basis should I let you into my heaven? There's only one answer that will suffice. 
I'm trusting what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And he says, welcome. Anything else smacks of what we do to bring God on side, and that never, ever works. See, the good news is Jesus has done what we could never do, and what we have to do is put our faith and our trust in him. You say, but that sounds too simple. What about the guy who's lying on the bed, and he's hours from dying, and he's lived a terrible life? Hey, it's only one way we get there. It's through Jesus Christ who did for us what we couldn't do. And there was a guy hanging on a cross beside Jesus who realized and had some clarity by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was wrongly there and they were right to be there. He saw his need and cried out for mercy to the only one who could help him. And he received it. Have you received the gift of grace? There's nothing better. It revolutionized Martin Luther's life. He didn't have to now fight and to get God to like him. He was accepted on the basis of what Jesus did. And that liberated him. And my prayer is if you have not yet done that. That you'll open your heart. That there is a God who loves you who sent Jesus to die for you, and if you'll put your faith and your trust in him, he will grant you eternal life, forgiveness, a relationship with him that goes beyond this world into eternity. E.E. Hewitt wrote um, the words to a hymn that I think sum this up in such a beautiful and powerful way. My faith has found a resting place not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He will never cast me out. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name. Salvation through his blood. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Let's pray. Father, we need no other argument. We need no other plea. There's nothing else we need to do than to cast ourselves upon your mercy, to put our faith and our trust and our confidence in Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us. And I pray, Father, that, that, that if there are some people here who, who don't have that confidence because they've never opened their heart to put their trust in Jesus, I pray, Lord, that, that their heart would be open. They would reach out with faith and say, I believe. And Father, if there, there's some people who are just a little bit unsure of where their standing is with you, I pray that you'd help them to shore that up. I pray that you'd help them to put their faith exclusively in what Jesus has done. Lord, I just pray that as we go through this series, you'd help us to understand what you've done for us and and how we express that back to you. That you will help us to be confident in you. And I pray, Father, that you'll bring some people who aren't quite there yet 
to understand that and put their trust in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.